So I wake up and I'm like expecting to play a rugby match. I get a phone call saying, listen, lad, you're in a Welsh team. It was like, it was like uni debut, Prem debut, Wales debut. And it was all, it was all very quick. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Champagne Rugby Podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by Welsh Rugby Union International, Chris Nchunza, who's been making waves in the world of rugby since he burst onto the scene. Chris can play both flanker and lock, and he currently plays for the Exeter Chiefs. And what's even more impressive is that he made his debut for Wales at the tender age of 19 years old against Fiji, showing off his skills to the world. Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and wowed by the rising star of Rugby Union. Without further ado, let's welcome Chris and Chunza to the Champagne. Chief, Chief, Chiefs. <laughs> Chris, how are you doing? Hi, good, thank you. How are you guys? <clears throat> I'm not doing too bad. Adam, my co-host, how are you doing? Ah, I'm all good, lad. I'm all good. It's lashing raining in Ireland, but look, Munster on the way to South Africa to the lovely weather, so not bad. <laughs> not too bad. So, Chris, what's what's your week been like so far? You, you're building up to the match this week against Montpellier? Yeah, yeah, we had a bit of a uh, dark week to um, dark start to the week. You know, we lost the bath last weekend, bottom of the table, so the coaches were happy about that. But we we picked ourselves up quite good um, after a loss like that. You almost see like a, a big spike in energy because obviously we, we almost got a point to prove again. So yeah, we've had a we've had a, a good start to the week. Uh, boys, boys have brought a lot of energy, and we got a few sore bodies, but it's uh, it's Europe week, so. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that. Some of your boys are going to be heading to Montpellier next season. Has that caused a bit of tension or banter in the locker room in pre-match training? Just a little bit. We we get we get to them a little bit, mainly just about um like their French speaking and 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 how they speak French because because obviously they're all learning the language now. So yeah, we we get into we get into them a bit about that. You giving out lessons for free or are you charging the boys? <laughs> no, I'm charging. I'm charging. I'm so charging. Who's going to struggle the most with the language? It's going to be Harry Williams, oh, it's gonna be one, or Sam Simmons. It's going to one hundred percent be Dicky. I mean that that bloke can just about speak English. I, honestly, I I don't know how he's going to learn French. He can generally just about speak English. <laughs> I think I think the only English words he knows are probably swear words. <laughs> yeah. At least he'll be dual or uh, multilingual now on his Twitch streams, huh? Playing Modern Warfare too. <laughs> yeah, true. true. That's right. May may attract the uh, new, yeah, new new viewers. <laughs> yeah, because a, a lot of these Exeter boys, English isn't their first language. It's actually Cornish, isn't it? Cornish, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so I, guess I think that's too different from Welsh, actually. Uh, not too different. No, no. Apparently, apparently they're quite similar because. I don't know, I can't tell you why, but apparently they're quite similar. Yeah, so like European week, how does it look different on a European week to a premiership week, for example? Um it's actually not much different. You know, we we, we treat it the same as as a as a prem as a prem week. Um the prep's similar, the way we review the team will be similar. But obviously, um in Europe, the only thing that's different, obviously you have teams of um, different culture you'd say for example the French teams the Irish teams and now the South African team so for us for example we um, were playing a French team uh, Montpellier and we like every French team everyone knows they've got they've got big runners big ball players and they're all big and 
they like to keep the ball alive, lots of offloads. So, you know, we just have to have to train and prep for that accordingly. So how does the kind of, obviously with English rugby, it's a lot more in the forwards, high balls and everything. How does kind of your tactics change in terms of the culture you said there when you're facing the, the South African teams, the French teams, etc., like this? For example, we know French culture is flair. You know, we know we know there's going to be a lot of um, probably high ball in play time. It's going to be a high intensity games. You know, they're going to try to keep the ball alive, offloads. You know, just keep the ball moving. We know that's French culture. They bring a lot of flair, and, and that's that's just how it always has been. And then, like, if you flip it back to um, like a South African team, we know that they're, they're heavy up front runners. You know, you know, you're going to have some short, uh, sore shoulders the next day. So. We, that's how you just got to prep accordingly um, based on the team you're playing, really. And which which style do you prefer to play against? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter what I, I would prefer to play against, really. It's it's, 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 it's the team that I'm in at. So it's whatever, whatever the coaches think is right, really. Uh, yeah. yeah, we don't we don't, we don't don't get much of a say in what style. Well, I'm not quite sure if Maybe, maybe if the French teams were um, reviewing us, they would say English teams like to play with this certain style. But again, I'm not sure what that would be. So I'm not sure what they'd have to say about us, actually. I suppose being six foot six and lightning fast, Chris, like you know, there's there's not much you wouldn't <laughs> adapt. I'd say, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got at the end of the day, you've got to play what's in front of you, don't you? Yeah, heads up front. And where was you like? The home versus away factor, like when you're going to France, how does the atmosphere differ to like a premiership week? Obviously, the, the travel's slightly longer um, to France. I mean, I, I, Europe, I've only played a few, a handful of games in France. We had, um, my first Europe game was actually Montpellier away. And um, I think that was the back end of last season. And um, it doesn't differ that much, you know. The pre again, the prep's always similar. It's just according to what team you're playing. Um, the travel's just a bit slightly longer, but in terms of that, it's, it's all really the same. Um, French crowds, to be fair, the, the late kickoff actually that's it. The late kickoffs, wow. Uh, for some reason, in France, they kick off for like eight nine p.m. and it's just the worst thing ever. Like the build up to the game, like is is the you know like I'm a type of person where I'd rather just like get over and done with. But in France, for some reason, they kick off at like eight nine p.m. Yeah, yeah. I, I that adjusting to that is, is is actually quite tough. But I'd say that's probably the biggest challenge. So, like, are you just used to like um if you were Premiership match at half two in Sandy Park, like, what's your morning look like then? Like, are you eating a breakfast? Eating a big dinner and then playing a match, or how does your eating? Start? Yeah, so for for um in prep for prem games, we have like uh two o'clock kickoffs, three o'clock kickoffs. Sometimes we'll have a 12, 12 p.m. kickoff, but uh, most of the days um those for those kickoffs look similar. Just um light breakfast in the morning and a very very light lunch. And that's it really. Um, it's quite easy to manage. Like sometimes you like if you have breakfast and you feel and you and I feel I'm fine. I wouldn't even need to have the lunch. I'm the type that I, I can't really eat a lot before a match. See, I, I, I do feel it in my stomach. But if you flip it to playing it to eight nine p.m., you kind of need to like your diet is probably one of this comes in like it's very important because 
you almost guaranteed you have to have at least three meals. And for someone who doesn't like to eat a lot before a game, like it, it kind of becomes a it kind of becomes a problem because you're either starving before a game or you're eating too much. And finding that balance can be quite tough, especially because you're away as well and you can only eat what they what the hotel provided. And it's a bit different to managing your own um, lunch, dinner, or breakfast here at your own house. Yeah. So, do you get do you get nervous before the games? Nah, I'm not. I'm not one of those. Uh, yeah, I'm not really a sketchy person. I mean, I've seen everyone's actually different. Like, if you like, that's one of the things I learned when um when I, I first started playing. Like before the games, I would sit in a change room and you'd look around and like everyone's actually different. Some people. Some people literally like, for example, we have Woody in um, at Chiefs who he meditates before before games. Like you'll see him sat down on the floor and, he, and he's breathing heavy, and you're like, "What's going on?" Like the dinosaur breathing heavy at the back of the room. Um, yeah, that's what, and that's just what he likes to do. And um, you have also, I don't know, boys who just prefer to be quiet. You know, some boys just don't say a word before games, and you have some boys who you know they've got their game face on and they're serious. Some boys got rock music blasting in one corner. Some boys got Adele in a different corner, and you just learn that you know everyone's different. I don't. I don't really get nervous. I I like to be quite chill before a game, and I don't really get pumped up. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be new. the same way. I'd like I would train, as in the same way I would approach training in like a neutral, calm manner. Um, it's probably the same way I, I approach um, match day. So which corner are you in? Are you meditating with Ali? Are you rock and rolling? Are you singing Adele? Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm in a corner that's just bopping to whatever, whatever music's being played in the changing room. Really, like I'm, I'm a bit, yeah, I'm a bit chill. And how long would Ali Woodburn spend meditating? Oof, five to ten minutes. And like, I mean, he genuinely sits down, he puts a towel down he, in the change room pre-match, he genuinely sits down and he closes his eyes and he's like proper, like very heavy. And like, and that's his thing, you know, everyone, and everyone's different. You just respect that everyone, everyone just knows that that's his thing and we, we all just respect it. Do you, do you have any pre-match rituals? No, not really. I'm not really, I'm not really a sketchy bloke like that. I know some. I'm, I know some boys are, are a bit sketchy, but I'm not. I'm not really a sketchy. But like Nolsey, Nolsey, he likes to have his his pillow everywhere he goes. You'll see. Uh, you'll see Nolsey with a pillow. Like there's a pillow, and he he'll carry it. He'll carry it to Japan if he has to. But like I'm, I'm not really. Um, yeah, I'm not really sketchy. Like, I don't have any rituals. I just, yeah, just get my head down and go on with it. Really. But again, that doesn't mean I see myself as better than everyone else. I just understand that everyone's different, really, and everyone everyone prefers you know different things. And and I think what what comes from the rituals or the the pre match habits is it's probably something they done and they played well from that from that, and they just carried on doing it. And which I've seen quite a lot, like someone will um, someone will wear something for a game and they have like a storm or they get like man of the match that game and, and that'll just become that'll just become their thing and, and they just carry on doing it for every game now. So that's why so many fellas are wrapped up like mummies I'd say. All the injuries <laughs> ahead wearing the thing. But um <laughs> so since you've started playing rugby you've never um you obviously never had a pre match ritual or anything, but how old were you when you started? Um I was in year eight. Year eight I picked up my first ball. 
uh, how old are you in your area? I'm not sure, uh, 13, 14. And then I thought, uh, this really isn't a sport for me. I didn't like it. I started, I started in my school. Like, my school was quite well known for rugby because of, you know, the people that went to it before. So, like, we had a big, big, big old team. I mean, there's an A team, a B team, a C team, and a D team. So I, I started in the D team. There's a rugby tournament and they need players for the D team. So they're like, Chris, you know, just give it a go. You know, we need we need numbers for the D team. Can you can you fill in? And I was like, you know, like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I went, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I never even watched rugby before. I, I generally didn't have a clue what was going on. Like the ball would get passed to me and I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, just run forward. <laughs> you know, like, okay, okay. Like I did, I genuinely didn't know. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know anything. So after that, I was like, yeah, no, nah, it's probably not for me. So I, I stopped then. And then um, at the end of year nine, uh, so I was, I guess, around 15-ish um, or late 14, I then picked up the ball again. Well, well, when I stopped initially, I was just playing football then because that's just that's what I knew and it's what I liked. And then eventually, at the end of year nine, I, uh, I started playing again. I actually quite enjoyed it. I was a bit, I, I grew as well, which, you know, being bigger than everyone else when you're young, it, it definitely does help. So I grew as well then. So like, I just, and they just said, what the coach just said to me one thing, Chris, if you catch the ball, just run forward. And that's what I did. And I started liking it. And um, when it came to your 10, basically which church is split with your seven, eight and nine on one side. And then across the road, it's your 10, 11 and six form. So the coach, all the, the good, rugby coaches they're on the year 10 11 and 6 form side because obviously they coach the, the academy in the sixth form etc so I, I i just had pe teachers when i was in year um, eight and nine so like i didn't really know much about rugby so it wasn't until year 10 where i, I went over to the other side of the school and I, I met the the actual rugby coaches who coached the academy and they were like you know what you're coming with us <laughs> Because I was, I was just big, so they were like, you know, we're going to take you to seven here. So they, they just kind of grabbed me, and since then, I, I've been under their wing. So just um, just to bring it back for the listeners that aren't watching it visually, for a hint of past players that were in Chris' school, he's wearing an SW7 Academy jersey. So, Chris, could you elaborate on who some of these past players might be? Uh, yeah, Sam Sam Orbiton. Um, obviously, you know, he's a, he's a well-known uh, ex rugby player, I don't really have to big him up as much, but yeah, he was he was quite pop. Uh, honestly, at at this time, I still, I had no idea who that man was. Even in your eight, your nine, probably, probably I only found out who he was probably when I was in like your ten, eleven, because I still hadn't watched the game of rugby. I didn't know what it was. I was just playing just just because. Um, yeah, so our, our school's quite well known for the sport for for rugby. So like year 10 now, you go across the road, you're getting coached by the proper rugby coaches. What position are you at this time? Were you always in the pack or were you a big uh, I Actually, I dabbled because I, I was fast. I, I did, um, I was fast when I was young. I was, I just, I did all the, the track, the track and all the athletic stuff in school. So I, I ran the hundreds, 200. So I was quite fast. So I just dabbled between different positions. Like I played, I played wing. I, I played a few games for centre in centre, but like not a lot. I realised that wasn't for me. And then eventually they were like, Chris, you're the tallest and we need we need you to win. We need to win line out. So just go in a second row. So I went in a second row and that's where I stayed for, for quite some time. How fast were you? Over a hundred meters. 
I mean, I was fast, like as in, like I was giving off fullback a run for his money. Like. What time? <laughs> what time are we talking? Like, are we talking I could do eleven time. seconds. I mean, I mean, for, for a 15, 16 year old, I was probably running eleven, eleven seconds. Jesus. Yeah. What do you reckon you'd manage now? I'm. I, I don't know. I could. I don't want to big myself up. I genuinely, I, I genuinely don't know why I can run that. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely don't know why I can run out. But yeah, but the, when I was in school, I was I would I would probably top three fastest in the school. Yeah. So like, would um the Wales sevens be an option for you for the Olympic or the U sorry GB sevens for the twenty twenty four Olympics? Right? Would you be thinking uh, no, about yeah. that even? I've got wheels, but I haven't got legs. See, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have it all. Yeah, yeah, I've got wheels, but I haven't got legs. See, I, I, I'll be, I couldn't do sevens. That's too fast paced. I, I genuinely don't think I'd be able to do more than two minutes for a sevens pitch. So, before before we dive deeper into the more niche rugby questions, um, if you don't mind, Chris, we, Chris, we'd love to hear like from you, kind of a background story of how. You ended up coming from the Republic of Congo and then you end, then going through the academies and then finally playing uh, for Exeter and then making your debut for, for Wales. Uh, yeah. Um, again, I don't want to go off on a tangent. So, yeah, long story short, I was born in, in uh, Congo and then uh, my family and I, we moved over here when I was seven. And then... Um, yeah, you know, we we moved it over here just as any any other family who who didn't have much would. So, you know, we we dabbled in and out of council homes, etc., for for two three years. Again, at, at the time, none of us could speak English, so it was obviously tough for my parents to get a job or my elder sisters to get a job. Um, yeah, so we we struggled for the first few years, just you know, as as you were not knowing a new language and culture. Um, yeah, and then. Uh, moved around primary schools as I was moving around the council homes and then eventually um, we settled down in um, a place in Cardiff called Landaf and then from there I went to a local um, primary school and then I then went to went on to Wichich High School and I'm, I was quite lucky enough because I'm the only one I've got four older sisters and I'm the only one that um, went to Wichich High School because as we were moving around my sisters were already were already at the age where they um, they they qualified to go to high school. So they went to the high schools. And as we moved to Landaf North, they had already found their high school. So it would have been tough for them to move them from their current high school that they, they were studying, they were already studying their GCSEs and A-levels to, another, the, to then a local high school, which would have been Whitchurch. So they just stayed in their high school in Cates, which actually like not well known for sport, like it's, it's you know, Different, loads of different cultures, you know. Sport wasn't really, isn't really a thing there, and I guess I guess probably fate that we ended up in in Land of North, and I ended up going to Whitchurch because if I didn't go Whitchurch and I went to my sister's high school, I probably wouldn't be where I am today, and I wouldn't have met the people I have. So I, I guess you can call it fate, but you know, yeah, that's my story. Do you, do you believe in destiny, Chris? <laughs> not not that deep but yeah I believe you'll sometimes you can be at the right place for the right time I, I, I do I do I do think that and what would you be if you weren't a rugby player 
honestly, God knows. It depends which which school I, I would have, uh, which high school I went to. Obviously, in in the position, I know it's very weird to say, but in the position I was in, I was just I didn't know anyone, so I was just looking for friends. So had I went to my sister's high school, I probably just would have looked for friends that just any friends, and I probably would have fallen in, in the, within the wrong friendship groups or you know just just so I can be a part of something because obviously I didn't know anyone and speaking the language was tough so I probably just would have fallen in any any friendship group and it probably would have been um, not a good one so you know I'm quite grateful that uh, I ended up in my church. And how how did you go from going to uh, Whit Church uh, secondary school high school to then playing for Exeter Chiefs? Yeah um Again, Whitchurch being um, the school it is, quite popular. Um, every every year we get invited. Well, no, I came up through Cardiff. So I played for Cardiff under-16s. Even then, I was not even third-choice second row. So, I'd, again, I just started playing the, playing the sport. But, yeah, I got through that. And then I went. I got, I got into the Cardiff under-18s team, uh, Cardiff Blues, that is. And then um, – and then – for school every year, the the um, we get invited to Ipswich Fifteens tournament. I'm not sure if if you're familiar with it. It's like a, a like all the the big uh, schools in England get invited, but because uh, Whitchurch it was quite a well known Welsh school, we're the only Welsh schools that get invited. So uh, yeah, we went to the the Fifteens tournament in Ipswich, and there was a um, I'm guessing um, scouts from Exeter Chiefs and you know in, uh, English Prem club scouts and after that tournament I um I did you know I did I'm not gonna pick myself up but I did reasonably well and I came back after that tournament again. So I I that was um in my last year of uh, sixth form. So I'm just 17, 18 at this point, which is which is um the age you're reaching to to sign, you know, your first contract. So I was about to sign with Cardiff Blues and then um and then a few weeks later, after that tournament with Ipswich, I, I get a phone call from my school coach and he was like, Harlequins are on the phone. And I was like, what do you mean Harlequins are on the phone? They were like, oh yeah, you know, they, they were very impressed with how you played at Ipswich, you know, and they, they'd love to talk to you and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I mean, I, I ain't got a clue. Like, I, I ain't got a clue what's going on. Like, I've only just started watching rugby. I didn't even know, like, I had to Google who Harlequins were and where they were based. You know what I mean? Like, it was... It was like that, and then and then like a few days later, he was like, "Oh, extra Chiefs, uh, interesting because you know they obviously were impressed with what you did at uh, 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 at the Ipswich Rugby Tournament." And I was like, oh, "Listen, I like I'm only 17, 18, I haven't got a clue what's going on." So then my school coach goes, "Okay, that's fine. I'll um he'll get me involved with someone who can help and give me good advice." And then that's when I met my current agent, Darwin Jones, who was also an agent of Sam Warburton when Sam was playing. So my school coach called Sam and he was like, you know, have you got a guy that we, you know, can help us out, give advice, et cetera, because Chris has got a few clubs um, who are interested. Is there anyone that you think could help? And then Sam Sam suggested um, Darren Jones, who's an, he's a well-known um, agent around Wales. And yeah, that's, that's how uh, I ended up at Chiefs because he then gave... Um, advice and you know I wanted to go to uni after school so you know Exeter Uni has a very good reputation for university they were a very good club at, uh, they're a very good club and you know it just uh, the, like the the pieces like the 
and then like it sold itself really. It was it was a it was a no brainer at the time. So that's like my final extra. Are you still studying at Exeter or have you graduated now? Yeah, I'm still studying, currently writing my uh, dissertation. So after that, I am finito. Yeah, I'm oh, done. <laughs> what did you long, study? Yeah. Sorry? What did you study? I studied sports science and business. So I studied, I studied like a joint, uh, joint merit. Um, yeah. It must be difficult to find the time to balance a professional rugby career playing for yeah. Wales. What's it like? Um, what's it like on the campus? Do you like do you like random students kind of recognise you and say, "Oh, you're the uh, guy playing for Exeter and Wales and then whatnot." Um, I'll be honest. I hardly go to campus. <laughs> There's no time. I mean, like I'm I'm at training from from morning to late afternoon, and, and like the last thing I want to do is go go to a, go and sit down in a two hour lecture. So. Everything I've I've done for the past three years has all been um through my computer really. I mean the first two years helped because of COVID. So, you know, everything was online anyways. But um this year I went to a few I've been to a few lectures and yeah, like I, I, I don't really know any of the students. I couldn't name you anyone on my course, <laughs> which is quite embarrassing. But yeah, that, that's just the reality of it. It's, it's been quite tough managing it with um, obviously Wales and stuff. I didn't expect things to kick off as quick as they did. So like, yeah, like being able to, or having to like write, um, write assignments and stuff like after training in camps has been quite difficult, especially because I, I, I can't just talk to the lecturers and I can't. And it was difficult because I couldn't attend university. I, I didn't know any of my lecturers personally. So like it makes it a bit tougher trying to ask for help and things like that. So yeah, I can imagine it's quite it's kind of like a, a wave sort of you're kind of going the highs of rugby and then the lows of school I mean, and studies. Yeah. Almost like as like the better rugby got, the harder uni got. So like it, it, yeah, it was a bit hard. Even now it's still really hard, um, hard to balance. Like every day after uni, have like most uni students have, you know, the whole day to write their assignments or the whole day to do their research. I've got, I've got like one or two hours after training before I burn out. So, yeah. I can imagine. And um, in terms of the, your first day at Exeter, when you went to Exeter Rugby Chiefs, what was that feeling like on your first day of training? You walk into the locker room, what, talk us through a bit of how you were feeling and everything that was going on? Um, I'd never experienced anything like that, especially, again, I said I was at Cardiff Blues Academy, but at Cardiff, at Cardiff, their academy team, their, car their academy is split in their senior team. So, for example, their academy, we're in, we were in at 6am and we were out before the senior team were even in there. So, like, I didn't, I didn't get to experience what um, it was, the, the environment was like at a professional rugby club. So, when I walked, when I stepped foot in Chiefs, it was the first time I'd actually been around, you know, all the academy players and seen them all working. And, you know, I was like any young player would be. I was like, I kind of went into my shell a little bit. But then, um, yeah, all the boys were, they were they were so nice. And like, they were the most genuine blokes I'd, I'd, I'd ever met. And like, as soon as I stepped foot into that club, like the first day, I was like, yeah, this is the place for me. And like, I um, got... Which players kind of left a, a good first, gave the get best first impression? Don Armand, definitely. He um, 
he definitely left the mark on me, Don. He's uh, he's retired now. He retired last season. I'm not sure if you guys knew yeah. him. I know he's a great player, but off the pitch, he's he's the most amazing bloke. You've I've just, he's till now. I think he's one of the most amazing blokes I've met. He's so real, and he just he just understands life. And when when I went into Exeter, he he really took me under his wing. And to see a senior bloke do that to someone that like me, a young ACAD lad that he didn't even know, like. I really stuck with me. And now to be able to play and take his shirt, because he was six and seven last year for Exeter Chiefs for the past 10 years. And now, and now I get to play in the same jersey he wore. Like, to me, that's surreal. And even before before I, um, before I the start of this season, you know, I went in the in preseason, I sat down with him and, I, and we went for a coffee. And I was like, listen, Don, you've done this for 10 years. I want to know, I want to understand you and understand how you were able to do what you did on the pitch, off the pitch, um, you know, what made you the player you were. And, you know, we sat, we we genuinely we went to a coffee shop and we were there for three to five hours. Just me and him, we were just chatting away and and I've had a very good um season this year and you know, props to him. You know, he's had a, he's actually had a come to think of it now, he's actually had quite a big influence on And what are some of the things that he told you there that like listeners to this podcast could take into their lives. It wasn't. This is the thing. It wasn't one specific conversation. It wasn't one specific thing he said. It was. It was more of who he was. You know, when you meet someone and you're like, you know, they, like you're rare. Like people like you, people like you are rare to find. So it wasn't just one specific thing he said. How he thought, how he carried himself, how he spoke to you, and how he spoke to others. It was. It was more of that. Like the energy in his presence, he brought. So in terms of advice, I couldn't tell you there's one advice here that he really sat down and gave me that stuck by me. It was just more of him as as a persona that that really, you know, that really stuck with me. So he's one of them guys who's always there, very present. Yeah. Very, and he always kind of says the right thing, is it? Yeah, yeah. But he never overdid it. He never overstepped. You know, and that, that was the thing with Don. He was a very, very um, highly respected person. And towards the end, towards the end of his career last year, he did his scaphoid in his in his hand, and obviously he couldn't play. And he knew he was retiring at the end of that season. There was only a few months left, and then he was like, you know, I'm not going to play again. So, and he he kept it real then, because he was like, the coach's opinion doesn't mean anything to me because I'm retiring. I can't play anyways because I'm injured. So he just said and behaved how he thought was genuine, regardless of what anyone felt. Because obviously. He wasn't going to be at the club this year. So the way he carried himself towards the back end of the season was, was a really respectful way. If there was something he disagreed with that the coach has said, you know, he would really say, you know, I, I disagree with what you're saying or I think we should do it this way. And, you know, he was one of those lads that, you know, everyone did listen to him. He didn't say it in a, dis in a disrespectful way, but he definitely did speak his mind because obviously he wasn't going to be there anymore. So, you know, who cares almost. Does yeah. um does Stuart Hogg play a similar role this season now that he's obviously he's just announced his retirement? That's pretty massive. But does Stuart Hogg play a similar role in the squad? Um, uh, they're very different in character. I couldn't say not really, but also not really because they're they're very two different characters. You know, um, Stuart's a bit more. I don't know. They're very they're just very different characters. Obviously, uh, Hoggy's very he's a very respected player. You know, he's a everyone does does you know appreciate his opinion, but 
in terms of what they offer to the club, I think it was very two different values. Yeah, because um, you have a lot of big characters in that extra dressing room and you kind of have big characters who came through the club and big characters who came into the club. Like, would would it be a, that kind of scenario where like Jack Noel, Cowan Dickey, Simmons, they're all very tight-knit because they came through the academy, Henry Slade as well. And then you kind of have the new guys like Hogg, Johnny Gray, um, Cordero, all these guys coming in with their big opinions as well. Is there kind of different vibes going on there? There is, but if there's one thing about Exeter, you know that um, the, the lads who have come in always have similar personalities to the lads who is that always there. So they always complement the lads who are already there. Like I, I, I've seen it. For example, um, we had a few lads who came who came in and and they've left um, even before the season's even ended. Um, for example, Ruben, who came from Stormers and went back to Stormers before the the season even ended. We have um, Santi, Santi Condona, you know, who came in and left. You know, like, it's it's okay. You know, X is a, is a very specific culture, you know, and and almost the lads who did come and stay, like, for example, you Stuart Hogg, they they complimented uh, the boys who were already there, like like uh, Jack End or Henry Slade. Like, they all get along the same as if they've, they've always been there. Yeah, and uh, you're on with the culture there. I've heard Rob Bas- Baxter speak a few times, and he brought in the ACE, the ACE. Can you tell us a bit about that? I don't think I can. <laughs> I think I think uh, stuff like that is um, he explains it better than any anyone else. And for me to for me to explain stuff like that, I'd be doing a disservice. So I can't what really. Is, what is the ACE? Again, like I said, I can't really talk into much detail about that. If I tried to explain, I'd be doing a, dis- uh, a dishonesty to him. So things like that, you have to ask players who've been there and uh, coaches who've been there for a long time, like Rob, to explain, really. Yeah, and like Rob Baxter is obviously a huge personality as well. Like, what was your first encounters like with him or how are you now day-to-day with him? Um, Initially, obviously, you know, he's like, he's big dog around the building, you know, he's the gaffer. So initially, I was very standoffish, and um, obviously, first opinions really matter, and they're really important. So, I didn't really want to come off as like someone who was lazy or someone with a big ego. So, I almost just avoided him at the start. Um, but again, he's a very honest person, and this is what I liked about the staff as well. So you could tell they were very honest men, and like they were very good men. And you know you, you can almost you can almost feel that and understand that straight away. So that's all I've got to say about Rob. Really, he's a very, he's a very honest man, and um, the relationship I have with him now is good. You know, we got we got along very well, and he was responsible for bringing in the group of you know Nolsey, Slady, Dicky, Sam Simmons, Joe Simmons, and they're all similar age. You know, Harry Williams. They're all in that, I guess they're all that 30, 31 age now. But he was responsible, he was the one that brought them all in when they were 17, 18. And, and he almost saw the vision and he turned them into what they are now. And he turned them into the players that won the double and the players who won the Aviva. And, and I think that's what he's looking to do now. Uh, almost like a reset, but do the same. And like, I know to the outside, it seems like players just leaving Exeter. But that's not really the case. If if you see if you see how it is, is that like 
if you see how it really is, those players who are leaving, they've been here since they were 17, 18. Like they've they've done their time. They're they're real homegrown players. Like and and I guess it was just their time and it just so happens that Rob Rob's plan just so happened that they were all the same age and you know they're all reaching that 30, 31, 32 age. And you know, it, it like I understand that it's time for them to to move on and try something new. And Rob's trying to do like a rebuild and like restart that. You can kind of see with the youngsters he's bringing in, you know, the likes of Dav and I and a few other young players. So he's almost starting to, he's almost wants to do that, that reset again, you know, with the young Nolseys and the young Dickies, Slades. It's almost <laughs> like a transition period in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is, I guess, like I, I've, I've seen, I've seen the comments when like the media announces like, oh, so-and-so is leaving Exeter. And the media is like an outrage, or like, oh, what's going on? That extra chiefs is like, and like from the inside, it just it really isn't like that. And like it, it's so much different than what it looks like from the outside. It's not just players leaving. Like people don't understand that those players really have been there since they were 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. That's great to hear that. Uh, like it's all good on the inside and um. Any chance there are secret Netflix cameras? No, the last dance is going on inside. <laughs> well, as you said, there is actually one happening with um. I'm not sure if it's public yet, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> actually, I'll hold that. It's You've gone heard up. it here first, guys. Champagne will be my guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. And we'll what's it? So we've gone from Exeter, and you were 19 when you first got called up to to Wales play against Fiji. What was that transition like from going from Exeter and then going to play for Wales? You know what? That those were probably the craziest two months of my life. Like I still don't appreciate what what actually happened. Like at one point, one week, I wake up. Like I found out I was I, I was in the Welsh squad that autumn nation, the day of my first Exeter uni Exeter University rugby match. So I wake up and I'm like expecting to play a rugby match. I get a phone call saying, listen, lad, you're in the Welsh team. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I got to go play a uni game in, in, in two hours. So I'm like, all right. Put the phone down, play my first uni game. The next the next few weeks, listen, lad, you're starting for Exeter ex Chiefs. Um, I'm like, all right, I guess this is happening then. Uh, and then another few weeks go by and it's like, listen, mate, you're on the bench for Wales. I'm like, all right, <laughs> that's happening too. And like, it was just thing after thing after thing. And it was so crazy. And it all happened so quick. I didn't even get to like appreciate it. It was like, it was like uni debut, Prem debut, Wales debut. And it was all, it was all very quick. And um, you, you mentioned there, like you were more of a football fan when you were younger. You didn't watch yeah. much rugby. Like, did you fully appreciate what the Millennium Stadium was going to be like? Uh, before I'd, I'd been to um, a few Welsh clubs, like when I was in college and I was a bit older in that 17, 18, I started watching rugby and I, I'd been to um, like one or two uh, Welsh games before and I did understand, I did understand what, what Welsh rugby was all about by, uh, by that time. And again, you know, one year watching a game from the stand and then the next year being on that pit, like, one like the year I was watching, I remember I watched the Wales Wales Island game actually. I think I think Wales Wales won that year. I can't remember what it was, maybe it's 17, 18. 
um, yeah, I remember I was just in a stand, you know, just watching the game as you would and not knowing any idea that the next year I'd be playing down there or not having any plans of even playing down there within the next year. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, and like, what do you remember about it? Like the warm up, were you looking around, seeing the crowd come in? They're getting ready the to belt out the national anthem. It was definitely the anthem. I wasn't expecting it either because obviously I'd never experienced it from um, down on the pitch. So, uh, like, as, as we as we um, we lined up and we started singing, and and the fires go off, and you feel the heat of the fires, and you look up, and also the millennium, the way the millennium stadium is, is that like it kind of concaves in. And the the fans are belting out the anthem, and you can feel the vibration of like you can actually genuinely feel the vibration of the sound from the pitch, and that that was that was crazy. I didn't expect that, and it was yeah, it was a crazy experience. Yeah, and like, have you ever been to like everyone always talks about Cardiff, like you know that the atmosphere in Cardiff, Cardiff, Cardiff. Is there any other of the Six Nations stadiums that you can feel it like that as an opposition player, obviously? Sorry, say that again? Is there any other Six Nations ground where you kind of feel the anthem uh, like coming against you like when you're an opposition again, player? Like I said, I, I haven't really been playing rugby for that like a very long time. So I've not, I haven't actually played in a lot of international stadiums. I think I've played in, in two and that's, that's uh, Scotland and, and uh, Twickenham. But I'd, again, I'd even play Twickenham against England. It was it was against um, Harlequins for their big game fourteen. So yeah, my only away game for an international game was just Scotland away. And the way their stadium is, their stadium builds out, so it was, it was a bit it was a bit different. Yeah. And yeah. how was your whole Six Nations experience? How how did it feel like going through all the media and everything, and then? Getting called up or not getting called up for for Wales and everything like that. Uh, yeah, it was cool. You know, I, I, it's obviously all you know, always such a huge, huge honor and a huge achievement for anyone, really, um, regardless if you've done one campaign or ten. So yeah, it was it was it was surreal um, to start, you know, but the game before my first camp there, we played past home, and I hurt my knee, so I missed out on the first game against Ireland because of a knee injury and it's the same injury I'm carrying now actually. And so yeah, I packed myself up back up in that Ireland week and the next week, um did I play? I can't even remember. <laughs> I can't even Yeah. Who did I play? I think it was Scotland. Was it Scotland after Ireland? I'm not sure. I think it might have been. Yeah Scotland it was away. it was Scotland away after Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I played in that. I started in that, which I that I was not expecting, especially not having trained a week before because of a knee injury, and then suddenly I'm starting. That that was yeah, that that was quite surreal. I, I really wasn't expecting that. Um, again, I just took the opportunity with both hands, really, and 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 got on with it. And uh, is there is there any players sort of in that Welsh squad that you kind of are kind of like your mentors in a way because you're quite a young lad coming in and uh, you you've got a lot to learn I guess straight away. Yeah. Well, I'd already but before this Six Nations, I'd already done two previous campaigns. Like I did, I did alternation last year and the year before that. So I already knew a few. I already knew a few of the players. Um, in terms of um, mentor, not really because. Again, everyone who's there has been selected for a reason. 
and like you understand that like you're there for you're there for a reason that you're not there for a push up the backside so and realistically a lot of those players are in that camp but uh uh your competition realistically you know we're competing for the both for the for the same jersey so in terms of mentor there's not really a player i could say um that really you know mentored me but obviously you have some respectable characters in there like owen jones you know he's a very good trainer very respectable person carries himself very well and just think people like that that you want to you want to you know almost emulate their career but in terms of mentor not really yeah And you're on with the big characters and big players there. So after that Scotland match was the England match. Yeah. That was a massive week for Welsh rugby. Obviously, yeah. people were like, will the game happen? Will it not happen? Um, like, can you give us any insight into that week? Like, how was Alan Wynn, Ken Owens that week? Was training yeah, well, still the same? Really, uh, yeah. I can't really again. I can't really um, in dive into much detail because I think that's really a personal thing for the players who actually affected. You know, it's actually a serious matter because it did affect the real time family of you know a lot of the players there and a lot of players. You know, if they were contracted, a lot of players were genuinely unhappy. You know, and affected their lives at home. So I wouldn't really want to touch in any detail because it didn't affect me as I'm a I'm a English contracted player, but. Yeah, it was a it was a very broken week. Just for example, we trained twice only twice that week. Well, not even we trained once and had one team run on on the Friday before the game. So yeah, it was a very disrupted week. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff in the media, a lot of stuff with you know our own chair members and the WRU and the chairboard and, and yeah, it was just a lot of outside noise. But we did you know the players did well to stick in together and. I think to lose by only ten points after one prep, one one day of prep, and I we only it was it was a relatively close game. You know, I think half time was very close, and you know they scored a they scored a close try in the second half, which then they they went on to win it. But for one day of prep, I think I think we can hold ourselves high up there against you know England, which is obviously a highly respected nation. A hundred percent. With that context, known on it was one mat, one training session in the week yeah. leading up, like. That's Generally that's one. incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, we, in fairness to you, well done. We had, we had one day of prep because the other day they were like, the problem was players. Players are saying, okay, if if our if what we've asked for, if the board, if the chairmen aren't going to match and and listen to what we've asked for, then why are we going to train fully knowing that we might get injured and then we won't have a contract next year? Why are we going to go flat out in training? Why are we going to do full contact if we know that if I were to get injured now? I might not have a contract next year, so you know, before before anything kicked off, Gatlin just went. You know what? No training. We'll see you. Um, we'll see you when we see you on, on Thursday. So yeah, we we came in on training. We all made all made the decision to train. So we trained Thursday, did team run Friday, and we played Saturday. Did yeah. did the issue did the issue get resolved later on, or is it still kind of ongoing? No, the, the issue's been the issue's been resolved. Um, players in Wales are now allowed to um, to uh, to uh, negotiate for contracts, and um, one of the big ones as well was a lot of players advocate for the sixty cap rule to to go, and you know they they kind of I think all our other um, asks had been met, and boys asked for the sixty cap rule to. Um, 
to go, but they came back and matched us with 25 and, you know, we agreed with 25 and, and that's where they're at now. So there's 25 caps and you can, I guess, play at for any club you want outside Wales. Do you, do you think you could see this happening again, but with other countries now that they've seen it's possible with what Wales has done? I think it's a bit difficult only because there's certain incentives. There's there's incentives to stay with other nations. For example, with Ireland, we know that I think a, a certain amount of players get um, their, a part of their tax back or something if they end up if they play for a Irish team. And at the end of their career. Yeah, yeah. At the end of their career, they get their tax back. For Scotland, it wouldn't apply because Scotland players can play for any team outside Scotland and come back and play for uh, Scotland as a national team. England, it again, it wouldn't apply. England, they've got 11, 12 teams you can play for and they're all really good teams as well. So it'd be tough. Like, you know, England have got a large pool to select from. So if you want to go anywhere, you can go. And again, the Prem Rugby is probably one of the best leagues in the world. So why would you want to go to any other leagues? France, I'm not quite sure how it works in France. Again, Italy, I think Italy, any of their players can play anywhere and they can still play for Italy. So I think what I think the difficult part was Wales, that there was only four teams. And if you if you didn't want to play for any of those four teams, it's a bit difficult because, you know, it just, it just makes life a bit difficult because you couldn't then play for England and then also play for Wales. And also, you know, there's all the chat about... Um, the region's not having enough money again. I don't know much detail about this because I don't play for a large club. But um, yeah, there's lo- lo- like a lot of amb- ambiguity about the, the region's not having enough money, etc. And, you know, that's just where Wales fall in line at the moment. But I think they're on the right path. And I really yeah. do believe they're on the right path. I think things are getting sorted and, and they understand that the players actually weren't happy. And, you know, in when, when we um almost... Um, when the England game almost didn't go on, I think that's the point. That was the turning point. It was, you know, like players are actually unhappy with how they're being treated, and you know, all players aren't being heard. And so I think that was the turning point. And now we have um, players in the, in the members of the sorry, we have players as members in the in the meeting. Sorry, in the the chairman meeting, etc. I don't know if I'm making sense, but yeah. So where like player voices are able to be heard and stuff like that so I think I do think they're on the right path yeah no it sound, all the info sounds very good like from obviously we're only rugby fans on the ground you've more insight than we would but um, a lot of people not just specific to Wales in the game as a whole are attributing the lack of money down to like the lack of star power do you think that players could do more to increase their stardom or do you think that there's limitations on it? In Wales? It, no, in the game as a whole, in all of rugby. There's a few... Obviously, I'm young, so I, I see things a bit different to, to, the, um, to the older people who run the game. And I see marketing for what it really is in terms of media, social media. And I just think if you compare um, rugby to football, I think... Yeah, I think we are a bit. I think we are a bit behind. Just in terms of media, there's so much more that could be done through media, and I think that's just where the game falls behind a bit. But again, 
you know, we are di- rugby is di- we are diversifying, you know. Um for example, we got lots of new um sponsors in rugby. I think TikTok's maybe sponsor like the Six Nations as well. And you know, you have loads of different companies and brands from all around the world uh getting interested. But I think one of the big ones would be media. Um yeah, even like very simple things such as like um name playing names at the back of your your international jersey i know england have, england have just started doing it but even just just things like that really you know like uh, like for example if you look at football uh man when he signed when ronaldo signed for man united i'm pretty sure man united made back his salary just purely from players buying ronaldo's shirt with ronaldo's name on it and i think just even small things like that is where maybe um rugby falls falls behind on and obviously it is it is a smaller sport to football so you can't really complain but there's definitely markets to be explored through media I think but in terms of media there so like for example Hamish's Champagne Rugby on Instagram has hundreds of thousands of followers Wolfpack Rugby doesn't do too bad what could we do to help players so like if players want more exposure what could we do to help them out as a podcast or as as like Instagram pages with a high rugby following I think that I think in terms of normal people, there's not much that can be done. But in terms of brands and companies, all we can do is try and engage their interest into the sport. For example, getting more Nike-based athletes, etc. Like for example, you see with basketball and LeBron James, you know, LeBron does like a like a like a cross collaboration with Nike and he has like his own selection of trainers, you know. Or just things like that. I know they do some stuff with like the golf players. Just like Leia, like I think in terms of in terms of growing the game, as people are very limited. But I think as as businesses and corporations, I think the better the game does at, at attracting those potential investors or those potential big businesses, I think the game can really grow there. And I think it I think it is on the on the right path. You know, we see a lot of Nike Nike based athletes now, and hopefully. If, if one to were to really boost up, maybe we'd see like, I don't know, like a Antoine Dupont Nike trainer or something, and suddenly the games like you know, yeah, people in America buying the Antoine Dupont trainers, and people like who's Antoine Dupont, and they you know YouTube him, and you know just even little things like that. I think I think it, it comes down to attracting the right amount of businessmen, business groups, or even like you see with football, you have the the Saudi Arabians getting involved in like they're growing the sport and they're pumping money into the sport. So yeah, I think that's just where the game can grow really, is attracting the right attracting the right um like business businessmen, the right group, the right companies and yeah. Yeah. Well another thing I'd see is like a lot of soccer players love like posting their lifestyle on yeah. on Instagram. They'll post like something they like, they might like watching horse racing, it might be on their Instagram, they go to the gym, they post so many different various pictures, so you can like the person, you know what they're at, whereas I find in rugby, we always like, we're posting just rugby players, just pictures of people playing rugby, like, I think the way that we could bring in more brands is if players showed off what they actually like, you know, like, what what are your off-field interests, because if you genuinely like something, like, if you like country music, then some country music company might yeah, collaborate yeah. with you. 
which yeah. then would bring that them to the game. You've done that, which then will increase your um your fan Probably. base, which yeah. will draw more on. Do you think there's a an element of that that could come into play? I do, but you also have to look at character. And like I'm not gonna be biased, but if you look at the characters that play football, they're very also I don't know them personally, but the characters they portray, you know, they have, you know, a chip on their shoulder and they they, they got these big personalities and uh, I guess ego wouldn't be the word, but you know, some of them have quite big egos and you know, almost show offs. And I don't think that's what rugby is about. And I don't think that's the type of characters we see on a rugby pitch. You know, everyone says like, oh, rugby's a gentleman's sport, but it really isn't. And I guess to grow the sport, I guess the players, the people playing it also have to change. I guess we can't just ask, um, you know, other external influences to come in. I guess the people playing it also have to have the ID that there's a, there's a whole market out there other than just the sport they're playing. There's, there's actually more to it. And, you know, a few a few people do understand this. You know, you have, look at the likes of, you know, like uh, Louis Rees-Amit, you know, people like that who understand the importance of marketing themselves and understand that there's there's opportunities out there to grow themselves, even though they play rugby and not football, but they understand that there's opportunities to grow their publicity through, you know, marketing and, and, and portraying themselves in the right way. And I think, you know, like you see... Again, you see a lot of like rugby players with like one thousand followers, two thousand followers, three five thousand followers, and I guess this is kind of where you know the game's a bit behind. But that's fine, you know. If people want their privacy, then then that's fine. But I know in football it's very different whether or not you want your privacy. If you if you don't want to run your Instagram account, you know you have your agent running your Instagram account, and that account's got I don't know 10, 10 million followers on it, you know, a few hundred thousand followers on it, you know. So, like, in terms of that, the people, you also have to look at the people playing the sport as well, I guess, and and the personalities. I guess rugby is such more of a, you know, get up and get on with their mentality, you know, like stop whinging and just like, yeah, I think that the personalities that play the two different sport also, also does make a huge difference. Yeah, so it comes back to grassroots, really, so that rugby needs a, a more people to start playing younger and then one or two of the personalities might get to the top yeah. and be internationals, yeah. No, that's fair enough, yeah. And would you say, do you think that Louis Rees Summit is a, a good example of uh, someone that's marketing themselves well? I would say so. He's got, again, like I know him, he's he's, uh, he's actually a real, real nice, uh, real nice bloke. Um, yeah, he marks, he marks, he does well for his social media, you know, he's got a few hundred thousand um, Instagram followers, he posts his uh, daily life um, activities on there as if, as if, you know, any footballer would, and I guess it, you know, it works, he's got, he's got quite a good, good few links and good few sponsors, so I guess, I guess it, it works, you know. Yeah, and who, who is, so you mentioned you get, you get along off the pitch, is, is there any of the, other players that you tend to hang out with in the Wales camp that you like to spend some time with? Um, other than Dav, who I already play with at Chiefs, um, Rio, me and Rio Dyer get along quite well. We have uh, quite similar personalities. Again, he's he's in that 22, 22 21 stage, and you know, he's a you know, that winger, he's got a bit of a you know, a bit of spunk in him, a bit of step in him, and and you know, we're a similar age, so me, me and him, um, me and him get along quite well, yeah. And also a bit a few of the uh, older lads, you know, you, you really see their personalities very well. 
and like some of them like you know when you meet someone and you're like, like your humor is just like different and like you have the likes of like dylan lewis and like gareth thomas who like they just have different humors and and yeah different personalities that are just funny so i like you know they're easy people to get on with what's it uh what's it like playing alongside uh alan Wynne jones and uh some of these Welsh, Lee Halfpenny and George North. The thing with Al is he really is about his business. You know, he's you know he's that he's that man. You know, once you step off the pitch, I can, I can also just say he's a great bloke, very very humble, and you know someone you can really respect. But as soon as you know, you know, as soon as you step on that training pitch or 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 a match day pitch, you know he, he really is about what he is. Whether he plays well or doesn't play well, you know, you know the way he's speaking and the way he carries himself. You know, he, he really does mean business. You know, obviously, it takes a lot to have as many caps as in for Wales, so you know, it really does say something. Um, yeah. Hats off to Alan Wynne Jones. Yeah. A legend of the Yeah, definitely. So that's that's the end of the uh, normal part of the podcast. And what we usually do at the end is we have the fan questions that come in. So it's like a quick fire fan questions uh, just to wrap things up. And then uh, we'll go from there. Sound good? Yeah, yeah fine. Okay, so I'll, I'll kick off with the, with the fan questions there. We've got the first one that's come in is from Lewis Fleming. And he'd want to know what would be your biggest piece of advice for young rugby players coming through the ranks. I think from what I've seen now at Exeter Chiefs, there's there's a few players who come in and they're almost just like hiding almost, or they they avoid they avoid um, being seen. I think when when because they're scared of like opinions of others or scared of opinions of 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 the senior players. I think what actually gets you respected when you come in as a young player and, and you're, you're at an academy is doing something that's respected. For example, you you breaking that fitness record or, or you getting very or you doing very well in that fitness test or you know doing something that's hard. I think. Hard things are appreciated and they're, and they're seen. I think that's definitely one thing I've I've noticed. Or you being that one player that that runs to every drill, you know, coaches really recognise that stuff. You being that one player who's who's reviewing every training session and every every lineup drill, every pass. You know, coaches as a young player, coaches really do see that stuff. And and my advice to to younger players is that the hard stuff is recognised and it definitely is what gets you recognised. Even though you think someone's not see it, seeing it, it's, it's definitely being seen. You know, hard hard stuff's respected and especially and if you do that as a young as a young player, it, it definitely gets you up in the ladder. Just as an example, we had a um a young lad in from Wasps Wasp Academy and you know he was quite shy, very um standoffish and one day he just comes in and he's like, "Oh, I just broke the record for your for your um five five. We do a five k watt bike time trial on a watt bike, you know, as quick as you can go on a on a five k watt bike." And he come in and he's like, "Oh yeah, I just broke the record for the five k watt bike." And everyone's like, "What? That's crazy!" And like he's like eighteen, nineteen, and you know, from that you can see how different people started treating him after that. And you know, you, you kind of have you kind of do have to earn your stripes. That's I my think advice. that's. 
you know, you really have to earn your stripes. That's solid advice for any walks of life, I, I reckon. Brilliant, yeah. Um, Daniel Lines wants to know, what do you eat for breakfast? <laughs> um, breakfast is, is, is provided for us, so, you know, um, it's the same thing every day, really. Uh, eggs, bacon, toast. You know, nothing nothing the normal person wouldn't eat. We yeah, have very, very basic eggs, bacon, long toast. And, you know, good to go poached eggs, scrambled eggs, fried eggs, don't need man. Can't go wrong with, with that combination. No sausage or pudding, huh? No, no, not really. Not really. Okay. Edward Winning would like to know, what's Louis Reese Summit like on a night out? Um, the funny thing is, people would exp- I think I don't know how it, how it, other people see him, but I think people would think Zam uh Zam's like very outgoing or like this very ex big extrovert. But on he one he hardly goes out, and two if he does go out, he's with his family. I've noticed a lot. You know, he's he's with his brother and or his uh, his brother and his friend, or he's actually goes out with his mum and dad. So he's actually reserved surprisingly yeah he keeps himself to himself you know he, he he's only usually out with family i've only have you know we both live in cardiff and i think almost every time i've seen him out he's been out with his family whether whether that's brother cousins or brother's friends or mum and dad ryan hogan wants to know who was your sporting hero growing up again it's going to be a uh, like not a great answer, but I really didn't have one. Like, again, I, I didn't watch sport. Um, I played football because in, in, when I was in Congo in Africa, that's what everyone did. You know, we we just go out in the front of the yard and you have all the little kids around the, um, the community who just come out and play football. So even like to watch football, I never watched football. I just played it because it was just the only thing I knew. And rugby, again, like I said, I didn't watch rugby growing up. So I don't really have any... Um, people I, I'd, I'd say I'd look up to really I know that's a bit of a weird like <laughs> it's, it's not the best answer it's an, it's an honest answer it's no, the truth it's yeah. the truth that's what we wanted um, Trist Bod wants to know what was it like growing up in the Congo and then transitioning and coming up and cr- coming over to Wales growing up was obviously in the Congo was actually normal because for me, I didn't know any better, so that that was normal for me. That was that was my normal, and it was like it was good, you know. We had a we had a good family. We lived in a good area, and you know, yeah, things were good. You know, I went to I was only seven, so you know, I went to primary school like, yeah, yeah, early primary school like everyone else would. Um, and then the transition was where things got a bit tricky. Like I said, um, prior in this podcast, so you know, learning the language was quite tough. But, you know, making friends was quite tough. We're moving around quite a lot and meeting new people and then never seeing them again. And then, like, that was quite tough, but we found our feet in the end. Josh Deedy wants to know if you weren't playing in Exeter, where would you like to play? Where would I like to play? I think, I think I'd love to give. Um, in the future, I'd love to give uh, playing in France a go, just because again I'm I'm all for now that I've understood like I've lived in a different place and I've and I've come here to the UK and I've seen the the changing culture 
and like learning new people and learning new things. I really, I quite liked it, even though it was difficult. I quite liked it. So I'd like to do something like that again and like go into play for just like, you know, random French team and like learning that. I know I speak the language now, but then like learning that culture and seeing how different things are and like what challenges that brings. So again, I, I, yeah, I'd love to play for a French team. Jack Covey wants to know, uh, who is the toughest player you've ever had to tackle? Toughest player. Do you know what? Ellis Genge is actually very hard to tackle. <laughs> Fair play. He does, he does, um, you know, he does live up to, to his name as, uh, what was it, Baby Rhino or something? I, I, I don't know what they call him, but he does live up to his name. And he's just so, he, he's he's very low to the ground, uh, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, he's actually a very hard man to bring down. Yeah, he does live up to his name. Fair play to him. Ryan Cody wants to know, What's your dream back row to play in? So you're one of the positions. Who are the other two boys? That is a great question. I think Kaylin Doris would be one of them. And then... And then someone like Courtney Laws. I think I like Courtney Laws. I don't, I don't know him as a bloke. I don't think we've ever spoken. But when I when I did start playing rugby earlier on and I looked at rugby highlights, he'd always be on the rugby highlights smacking someone. <laughs> and I was, yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> I was like 16, 17 and I was going, look at this guy, what's his name? And I was like, yeah, that's Courtney Lord. And I was like, yeah, that's my guy on YouTube. <laughs> and like, he'd always be smacking someone. I mean, I don't even have to speak, speak, speak for his career, but yeah, him. I, I, I'd, I'd say him and then someone like, like Kane Doris. Nice. Ollie, Ollie Pete wants to know, what would you like to be remembered for? <laughs> Jeez, I've just started. <laughs> what would I like to be remembered for? Um, At the end of your career, I guess. He's yeah, saying. yeah, that's what I mean. I've just started. I mean, I've got another, hopefully another 10 years to go. What would I like to be remembered for? I don't know. That's a bit of a deep question now. I'm sorry I couldn't really... Uh, well, let, let me rephrase the question. What, yeah. what are some of your uh, future aspirations and goals that you want to reach within the next 10 years? Is it weird that... Is it weird that I wouldn't mind if I was just like someone who was really good at rugby but no one knew? As in like no one cared about... I, I, I don't know. That's just me as a personality. I, I know that's a very weird answer but like I, I really wouldn't mind if if I was just like, if I played international rugby or I was just on a Lions tour and no one really give a, give, like, really cared about and like, or like, if no one even spoke my name, like, I, that's just me as a person there. Like, I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't care. So, things like that I've never really thought about. Uh, Paul McCarthy wants to know, would you ever play rugby for Congo? <laughs> I'm not rooting it out. I think why not? I probably retire when when I'm retired. Maybe I'll come back out of retirement and uh, put the old size twelve boots on and 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 go back out in a Congolese jersey. I mean, I'm not ruling out the possibilities. So that's a that's a maybe, yeah. Nice. But I think they've, uh, they've got a long way to come to go as a as a, as a rugby nation. There. 
And the, the final question is from Joish, and he would like to know if there's one person that you'd like to see on the Champagne Rugby podcast after you, who would it be and why? Who would it be and why? That's a great question. Cool. I would say... Who's got who's got a really cool background? I don't know. It's a tough question. That's a very tough question. I think that's that's one that I definitely have to think smart about. I'd like to see Dav Jenkins on here. But he's not the best at articulating himself. But yeah, Dav Dav's cool. Dav's a very cool bloke. And he, he's funny. He's he's a very funny bloke, but again, like I said, I I'm not sure how well he is articulating himself. He's a very funny bloke. I think uh, someone with the likes of like uh, like Luke Howard Dickey, he's he's also some character. And if you can get him on here, fair play. But yeah, he's some character. Luke Howard Dickey, if you're listening, <laughs> we'll have <laughs> we'll have you next week or the week after. We work free Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's a he's a great character. You know, he he's he's got a lot of energy to burn. He's got a lot of energy to burn. But like a like a bag of Starbursts or something. He's, he's yeah. ready ready to give all it, everything he's got. Yeah, he's, that, he's quite quick that, for a hooker as well. Yeah, yeah, and that, now that he's uh, he's injured and not playing and not training, all that energy is just pent up. And you'll see him walk in the physio room and just release it all, and he's giving it off. He's giving it large, and yeah, he's a he's a great character. We'll have to get him on. We'll have to get him on. Well, uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure, and it's a really refreshing conversation we've had today. I've really enjoyed it. So thank thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks very much, Chris. And uh, if the fans want to know where to find you, where they look. Um, I guess they can find me on my Instagram at C, uh, like C4 wrist or Chris's, but with a four inside of the H, I guess. Yeah. Perfect. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a million for coming on. Can't wait for the next time. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Cheers.